commentary, technology, preparedness, and pop culture. From Nashville, Tennessee, the home of hot chicken. I'm Jess, the straight Christian conservative one. And I'm Chris, a gay Buddhist libertarian. We will explore today's issues with opposing viewpoints. And feature guests with incredible or unique stories. We may see, see things differently. <laughs> but in the end, this is Still, still love, love you, bro. bro. Oh, the spookies have got my S's. It's Halloween does that. Stole my ghost. Ugh, Boo. Good. Boo. Boo. Good. Hi, Chris. It's, hey. it's It's almost like I saw you yesterday. I know. And we are back with a very special Halloween episode. I love Halloween. Did I say that yet? Oh, it's it is one of my favorite holidays. They're not very very many to choose from, but it is one of definitely up there. It probably top two. Um, I really like Halloween, and uh, because I really like um, scary things and scaring people. Um, one of the things I did as a kid uh, was I would dress up in uh, costumes and scare trick or treaters. I would do the costume that looks like a mannequin or something like that, or like a, like it's a Halloween decoration. And then, like, grab their hands when they come up to take candy. Yeah, I was, I'm sorry. I was that that's, kind of kid. That's what But I really for. enjoyed it. It was great. So. I remember one Halloween, my favorite. I went to um, performance studios in Nashville and had, like, professional makeup done. And I dressed up as an elderly man. And I went to my office. <sighs> and I hadn't been working there long. And, and I used my <laughs> key fob. And I walked up in the place. And, uh, and this was late at night. It's a 24-hour type place. And I just started walking around and people were coming up to me like, sir, do you need help? And like, nobody had done. I'm like, what's this old man doing in our building? Like walking around. And I was just like, no, I don't need anything. And it was like three or four people for their final. Like, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, it's me. And they're like, who? <laughs> that's that, amazing. It was so worth it. Like that was the best Halloween ever. Like that's, that's something you really got to stay in character for. I bet it was hard not to laugh. Yeah, I still have the, like the wool eyebrows. <laughs> In my house, like oh I'll stick goodness. those back There's on. There's two one little day. caterpillars in your drawer somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Well, we have a very special guest this episode, and and we will keep it Halloween related. Um, we are welcoming back Alan Forkham with the Nashville Retrospect. Uh, he has been on our show. You'll recall several times. One of our actually um, our our best requested guest based on the feedback. Um, and we asked him to come back today with um, Halloween-related content. We tried to challenge him, and and he came. Like, he brought it. Uh, he has a folder of really cool yeah. stuff. He's and, got and a very thick folder, so I think he lived up to the challenge. <laughs> he did. So, welcome. How have well, you been? thank you for having me back. It, and, and it was very easy for me to do because I collect this stuff anyway. I am also a huge Halloween fan and have been since I was a kid. So, when I started doing the newspaper, the retrospect years ago and start running across these strange tales and uh, articles about Halloween. I collected them. So it was no problem putting them together for this episode. Wow. Well, first off, that tells us that the next challenge will be big. Oh, we'll yes. see. He came through with this one. Yeah. Well, yes, we'll see. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm ready though. Just throw it at me. So I guess you've seen Halloween change over the years, right? So let's talk about how Nashville and how Halloween has changed over the years from what you've seen. Yeah. And I guess even in my lifetime, it's changed a certain amount, but if you go uh, back far enough now online, you you know, on YouTube, you can do history, search for history of Halloween and some great documentaries about explaining how it goes back to pagan Celtic tradition, uh, transitioning between the uh, light time of year and the dark time of year, you know, the fall uh, there, there were certain, things that they believe that the spirit, this was a time when the 
spirit realm was more likely to pass over into the real world. And uh, so the tradition started there. Uh, Catholics came in and tried to co-op it a little bit to, to get people to be... As they do. Yeah, to get people to be Catholic. So they created All Saints Day, which was November 1st, and then allowed people to do All Hallows' Eve, which was before it, and that evolves into Halloween. Uh, so yeah, there's 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 a, a lot of tradition there that comes, uh, from, and it comes from a lot of different places too. But uh, apparently, from what I've read, is that the, you know, uh, immigrants bring it to America, where it's not welcome, frankly, because... It's both pagan and Catholic. Sure. And this was a Protestant <laughs> country and par- for the most part. part uh, Day of the Dead, right, is what they celebrate in Mexico. Is that loosely related as well? Because it's about the same time. I, You know, I don't know. I think it is because their, their November 1st is celebrating people who have died. But yeah. it's, it's kind of for everyone. So All Souls Day was November 2nd, and that was for any Christians who had died. But All Saints Day was for martyrs and so so hmm. that tradition probably comes from the from the Catholic tradition. But uh but here Irish immigrants, Scots brought it brought it to America and it slowly evolved to different things, uh different um traditions. And the ones that stood out to me that I found in the paper are kind of odd because it was a mixture of of uh pranks and oddly uh, romance. There, for some reason, a lot of the traditions um, that I've found in the newspapers, I haven't really seen this in the documentaries, involved around, revolved around a person being able to determine who their future mate might be. <laughs> oh, wow. Or whether or, not, whether or not they would even have one. So is this, somehow we can route this back to all the crazy uh, revealing Halloween costumes that exist right now. Oh, I can't imagine how that would work on Halloween. That's interesting. Well, wow. I, if, if you will allow me, there's a... This is an 1866 article, and it says, um, Another ceremony much practiced on Halloween is that of the three dishes. Uh, Two of these are respectively filled with clean and foul water, and one is empty. They are arranged on a hearth when the parties, blindfolded, advance in succession and dip their fingers into one. If they dip into the clean water, they are to marry a maiden. If into the foul one, a widow. If into the empty dish, the party so dipping is destined to either be a bachelor or an old maid. Each person takes his turn. The position of the dishes is changed. So that's, you know, we definitely don't do that anymore. No, that's <laughs> kind of depressing, goodness. honestly. <laughs> oh, but man. think about in the 1800s, how many people like molded their lives around <laughs> that test? Like What in the... What, what, okay, so... For some reason, the first thing that came to my mind was foul water. Where are we getting this foul water? <laughs> I can tell you, but I'll tell you off the air. Well, <laughs> I'm sure they had plenty. I'm sure. Outhouses. You know, yeah, but, or, or just something with dirt, maybe yeah, dishwater or something. But, something uh, but yeah, then they said some were, uh, in the same article talks, some were more weird-like or had a fearful character. Among these was the celebrated spell of eating an apple before a looking glass with a view of discovering the inquirer's future husband, who it is believed will be seen peering over her shoulder in the mirror. Well, that's almost like that's Bloody Mary kind of. Oh, no. Or Bell Witch. Not a chance. I would not have survived that in the 1800s. <laughs> not a chance. Oh, wow. Uh, and this one I thought was super creepy. 
it says another that may perhaps be termed unhallowed is to wet a shirt sleeve, hang it up to the fire to dry, and lie in bed watching it till midnight, when the apparition of the individual's future partner for life will come in and turn the sleeve. Again, not a chance. <laughs> That's so strange because Where now we're talking about from? like apparitions of your future partner. So how does I, that even work? These people aren't dead. This is a a future spirit that maybe isn't even... You know what's interesting, though? In the 1800s, it seems they were very spiritual. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool, though. But, wow, where does the, where well, does that come I, from? I, I really don't know. But I, I think the focus on being married was a big part of it. And, you know, that was the future for a lot of people is having to be married just to have kids and survive. Right, right. Uh, so I, I got a feeling a lot of it came from that necessity and tradition all mixed together. But and yeah. plus the, you know, we, I like to look back every once in a while and see what humanity thought was magic. And now what we know to be more scientific, sure. that's probably a part of it is, is, um, wonder breeds that, you know, kind of spirit like, um, explanations for things. Like for example, you wet the sleeve and put it over the hearth and maybe the steam coming off. If it happens right. to look like a body, it, it appeared to be magic. You know what would be great? I watched uh, Back to the Future when they time travel. Like I always thought that was a great film, but I would love to just go back to a time like that, just thirty minutes, and like experience this mindset for just just a brief little period to really get a feel of mm. what that mindset was. Like, I've, I've always had be? the the fleeting dream to like um, visit a, a a ancient civilization, bringing a a piece of technology to see what, how they would react or bring one of them back to the future and, and show them the future and see kind of how they would adapt. That's kind of, that may be kind of cruel, but it's just interesting to me how the human brain would process all of these things. <laughs> yeah. Like there's probably 2055. There'll be that. an article like Jess is the guy that dropped an iPhone back to the first <laughs> Neanderthal. And that's where it all went wrong. <laughs> well, there wouldn't be a future at that point. Would they? Yeah, that's, good point. That's kind of pick this mess up with the space like, time continuum. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't have internet, so it's not like they'd have access to a lot of information, but exactly. they'd at least have a little glowing object they'd probably paint pictures of. What does or... no service mean? <laughs> no this service. must be Verizon. <laughs> I'm sorry, because I was thinking like ancient, like Mayan, South, South American civilizations. And you said no service, like no cerveza. Wait, what? There's no, there's no alcohol. What's going on? <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. Moving right Moving along. Moving along. Well, one other one I'll mention, and this was from a 1950s article, but I thought it was amusing. Uh, another legend has it that a young man put nine grains of oats in his mouth and took a walk and continued walking until he heard the name of a girl mentioned. His wife would then have that name. So again, a weird focus on... I feel like wow. this is a lot of things that are just made to make young people occupied. So they wouldn't bother everybody. Maybe like, that's why they weren't running amok and doing drugs back then. Perhaps, they're, putting, like, yeah. they're counting out grains to put in their mouth, and they walk around until they hear. <laughs> you can just you can just see that the boy walking back and forth across the street, waiting for like his crutch's name yeah. to be said, and they're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, and that man. was nineteen fifty. Yeah, that was nineteen fifty article, but he was talking about. Okay. Prior traditions. So, wow. so anyway, the other big tradition was pranks. And 
That, uh, I've found articles from the 1840s about, not in Nashville, but in other newspapers of people stealing cabbages and throwing them at the doors of the owners of the cabbages. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, when you said pranks, so these are my people, but yeah, uh, that's like cabbage vandalism. Throwing. Yeah. Yeah, no, anyway. and, and, and it gets, it got worse and worse over oh, time. Wow. So here, here's an... 1918 article that talks about lifting a calf to the top of the barn. Oh, that um, sounds like a like a high school uh, senior prank or something. Yeah, no, these are my people. Tell us about this. Yeah, one. also wagon on a roof. Okay, I like um, that. Wagon which on, yep. uh, apparently what they would do there is disassemble it and carry. That's it up how and they would get it. cars into the high school. I've heard that before. That's uh, and awesome. Then reassemble it. Okay, now that's a good prank for the 1800s. Yeah. 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 Um, this one is in quotes, and I, so I will explain, but it's called Pussy in the Well. Now, this comes from an old nursery rhyme called Ding Dong Bell, and it's about a guy who threw a cat in a well. And apparently this is a cruel thing that used to be done. But yeah, throwing a cat down a well would, would be one of the pranks. Wow. For who? Um, the cat? Who are they going to prank with this? Well, I was I guess. presumably the cat owner. Whoever lived oh. next to the well listening that for three days. Yeah, seriously. That uh, is kind of cruel. It is, yeah. It Jeez. is very. Another thing was uh, a furniture. Like if you had anything like porch furniture, it would be moved somewhere else, put in chicken houses and other people's porches, uh, um, blocking your front door. Uh, it was also common to steal gates. So if you had a gate... Uh, leading to your front door, that would be taken. Or holding in your animals, they they would be let loose. Holy oh crap. my goodness! Eighteen hundreds. Once rough. again, yeah, I'm like this is getting less and less cranky and more and more just general mischief. Yeah, well, like, it it got uh, really so that's move that's that's early nineteen hundreds. Moving in later, like that's still in the time time of fighting words doctrine. So at that point, they could just go and duel these poor kids. Yeah, in I was the gonna streets. say you get shot for yeah. removing a gate and letting out the cows. Yeah, I think I think it was an odd mix of people knew it was coming, like it's Halloween okay. night, you know. So, but I did read an instance from the eighteen forties where a a um, someone was doing the cabbage thing, got shot through a door. Ooh. And when they went to, she was badly wounded. It was happened to be a girl and she dressed as a man, dressed up. And this was this is eighteen forties, but that was not here in Nashville. That was somewhere somewhere else. Oh, I wonder because I guess at that time, if you were just a woman, a young woman wandering around at night, you could probably get taken to the police or something. I don't know because you weren't supposed to be out at night. But I don't know. That's interesting. Dressing yeah. trail was rough. Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, so you move into the 1920s. Uh, we have cars now, so tires are uh, being made def- deflated. Oh, no. <laughs> the spare like, tires. Did they slip them, or did they just... It says deflated, deflated so I assume so they just, there. Yeah, However, that's... they are steering, stealing the spare tires, which used to be on the outside of cars, right. wow. um, if you had one, and putting them on telephone poles. Oh, um, that takes some talent. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly why manufacturers started putting them in the trunk now, for look, these people. Now, that's a prank. I, I, that is a little bit more mischievous, but I still think that's in the realm of a prank because not a lot of harm is done. Now, yeah, you got to climb up the telephone pole to get your tire back. might drop it on the way down and it bust, but you haven't directly killed a living thing or caused people undue harm or harmed their pocketbooks in a way. Or, yeah, or put a cow in a yeah. room, right. which would be very hard to get That would be more down. difficult. 
Yeah, so it gets bad. So 1926, this is a cover of the Nashville Banner uh, editorial, Halloween. On the morning following Halloween, a lot of people will wake up to find parts of their property ruined or stolen. They're going to be angry, and they will not understand that a few boys and girls with a mistaken idea of fun have done these things in the spirit of a good time rather than maliciously. Nor can you blame these people for being angry. There is no sense in destroying property on Halloween. The night is one of merrymaking. Everybody accepts boys and girls to be expects boys and girls to be happy. Harmless planks are all right, but it is not necessary to steal or destroy property in order to have a good time. So, uh, from what I've read and seen in other documentaries, it got really bad uh, by mm. the 1930s. There were there were serious property destruction going on and some places would call it hell night uh, in some areas, not in Nashville, but in other areas because of all the mischief that would go on. Wow. It's like a miniature purge. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, here we are, 1937. Um, merriment, mischief, banditry, and tragedy hid behind the masks of Halloween in Nashville last night. Three hit and run drivers Driver victims are in hospitals along with many others suffering from accidents. One woman was taken three blocks on the bumper of a speeding car before oh she was good uh, grief. Uh, before she was hur- hurried to the street. Fire engines thundering out in answer to false alarms through their wailing sirens against a din of horn blowing, screams and laughter as masked mobs milled about the uptown streets. Police telephones jangled incessantly with reports of false and true fights, holdups, and accidents. What? This I'm glad somebody finally said, you know what? Let's just give out candy. Yeah. Well, when did that change happen? Well, around this time, and think about it. Why? Why? Why do you think we say trick or treat? Oh, because this is. Huh? Are you Are you here to cause me harm, or if not, or do you want a treat? Exactly. That's. Wow. It was literally a buy-off. Uh, they started, it started to be pushed by people to tame Halloween, uh, and there were people started marking it not as a, a night to do pranks, but to have parties and dress up and put on. Ma- and they'd already started some of these traditions. They're redirecting that energy, yes, into something more. And so the, they would say, literally, there was something in a magazine that I, it's, uh, I've read about it online. I, w- I don't have it with me, but. Where a woman said, "Hey," she went out and said, "Hey, do not prime here. Have some candy." Mm-hmm. And so this this idea was marketed that you go up and just say "trick or treat" as a threat. In other words, it's, it's a, "Do you want us to trick you, or are you going to give us a treat?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've always thought that that was kind of where it was, but I never really understood the the backing behind. I'm glad I wasn't there, as I'd be like, "I got some chocolate with some value in it to fix your problem, kids." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that makes a lot of sense then. Yeah, because yeah. I guess trick-or-treating happens before the tricks happen. I so mean, if, if somebody you're marking not, houses, right, yeah. as you go. And if they didn't come up with that candy thing, I mean, it would have sounds like it would have been disastrous. It was leading up to something big. Yeah, yeah it makes you wonder. But, wow. uh, it, of course, it may have calmed down, but they turned it into, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry today. Mm-hmm. I figure I've heard of $7 billion in America selling you know, decorations and masks and stuff. All that oh, yeah. started to be uh, increase in marketing around this time because was, there was this push to to tame Halloween and, and get kids just having fun with it and not out causing problems. Now, I was trick or treating in the early seventies, and it was that's what it was about. You bought your mask, your you know polyester 
uh, uh, costume at Walgreens and a you know plastic mask, and you went around collecting it. But when I got older, there was still a lot of pranking going on, and so we would we call it rolling here, but of course other uh, places call it TPing. But mm. you know you would toilet paper houses and yeah and egg cars and you know you did all sorts of things that and uh, here I think egging is still a thing. Um, yeah, yeah, if you don't give out candy. Yeah, you uh, don't hear about it a lot, but, and I, you know, there's not a whole lot of neighborhoods that give out candy um, anymore. Like, they seem to kind of centralize it, because when I was a kid, uh, and I live in a rural area, as a kid, like, people would be out here, and I guess it's just mm-hmm. the times have changed, and now in the city, you know, they have just big events in certain bigger neighborhoods, but nobody trolls the streets out in the rural areas anymore, and I guess that's just because of the climate. But And this is... Having just now moved into a house, um, this will be our first Halloween, and um, I'm kind of curious how it's going to be. I, I've I've always been big on decorations and, and effects and all that, and only recently have I decided to get into um, those things once again now that I realized, oh, I've got my own house. I'm kind of responsible for all the decorations now. So uh, that's going to be interesting. I, I tried to go to Walmart the other day to find that all the shelves were completely empty. Uh, everything except for cheap costumes is gone. Uh, there's no decorations. There's no candy. It's gone. Target, yeah. yeah. Go go to Home Depot. Go to Lowe's. They have, they have huge, Christmas stuff. Say, they have twelve foot skeletons that you can really animatronic. Skeletons. I went to I went to Lowe's the other day and I found like just some like generic like pumpkin buckets and a few other things, but everything else was Christmas. They've just I think oh, they've run they've... out of Halloween and they've put Christmas out because that's really all they have. So mm-hmm. they're trying to catch everybody coming in. I guess that's late shoppers like me and be like, hey, well, you, you were late for Halloween, but <laughs> Get make sure you're start. not late for Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah. So I guess we'll see how it goes. I hope we have a couple of trick-or-treaters. Um, if not, I would just be that one house in the neighborhood that has a bunch of crazy lights and, and effects up. And Well, people will drive by. Like, perhaps. Like on Christmas, and you'll perhaps. become the house of the neighborhood that's... Yeah. Uh, that has all the effects. I Maybe mean, I'll get like an FM radio transmitter and play music oh. like some people. That'll be interesting. And if they don't this year, at least they'll, the word will get out. So next year they'll start coming to your neighborhood. Oh, it will get bigger and bigger every year. Um, I think I, I'm, I'm not spending very much this year comparatively to what I expect to be the total cost of all the effects. <laughs> but eventually I think it will be an interesting show. Get um, a candy launcher. And put stickers with your address on them and launch them into other neighborhoods from your front porch. <laughs> just, I can then, just borrow your drone and you we go. can make airdrops across. Yeah. Um, come see the show. <laughs> well, I, I loved having trick-or-treaters up until I had a kid. Then I got to trick-or-treat again, which is way more fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's the tr- getting trick-or-treaters is just a blast. In fact, I did a video one year where I set a camera up and just... Right before I answered the door, I clicked on, answered the door, gave out the candy, closed the door, stopped, and just did it. So it's just, I don't know where it is today. So but you just it was have a, just, a video of the door opening back and forth. And, and, and different kids. Of all the little all costumes. All the costumes. Oh, that's all. awesome. That's cool. And I also rigged a rubber spider on a fishing line that, in such a way that when I opened the door, it dropped. That's awesome. <laughs> right in front of them. That's funny. That's awesome. I, you know, I was, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast when I was, when I was uh, in high school, I was big on to scaring trick or treaters. But now that I have my own property and like I feel like I'm accepting a little bit of responsibility for the kids that are coming on that property, I don't have that, 
I don't have that desire to terrify people as much anymore because I want them to come back you know, yeah. next year. I don't want them to, that's the scary house. We're not going to go over there. Well, you have to limit. You have to yeah. you know when to hold back. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. I had a, had a neighbor. I credit my love for Halloween to a neighbor when I was a kid. He uh, would dress as Frankenstein and chain himself to the front yard, you know, just out of reach of the sidewalk. So he couldn't reach you. Mm. But he was there. So you had to be brave enough to, to walk, walk by, by him, oh go get your candy, and then walk by That's him. crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Oh, my goodness. Now, I remember one time you said holding back. I remember one. Uh, it was the Halloween that I had. There was a there was a costume, and I'm sure it still exists. It was like a Party City costume. And it was like a, a ghoul, but it, but it had a mask, a hood, and it had this uh, black uh, material in front of it where it concealed your face, but you could see through it. And pretty decently. And then it had these glasses you wore that had LED lights below them. I don't know if they're LEDs at that that time, but there were lights right below them. And they would glow and they would kind of breathe. Like they would glow on and off. (laughs) And so I picked that costume because it looks like if you sit correctly, it looks like it's one of those put-up decorations. So people would walk up thinking that I'm just a decoration that is sitting on the porch and then, of course, when I jump out at them, it, it scares them really bad because they're not expecting it. But I remember one time there was this young, young, like several young kids coming up and their parents were with them and their parents were like staring at me. I feel like they knew <laughs> what was going to happen. But I didn't move and I just let them have the candy. And they were like really cautious about getting in and I didn't scare them. And then as they're walking the way, the mom turns around and goes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so That's I didn't great. want to ruin Halloween for these poor kids. That's, That's awesome. Great. That's great. I remember my fondest memory, I think, of Halloween when I was a boy. And it may have been where my love came from. Um, my my family, my parents had these friends, the Grissoms, and um, they were in Lebanon. They always threw these Halloween parties. And, and I remember the costumes were phenomenal. Like the parties were just insane like they decorated their house they spent days decorating their house they had caskets and Mm. you know they put dry ice i guess in the pool and they just they went all out and they had these amazing halloween parties and the costumes were just unreal and people you know they got together and it was just this really fun time and i remember being a boy just loving going to those i think that's probably where i got my uh my love for halloween so much that years after that my my parents had this little like eight by eight metal shed uh you'd park a mower in whatever years ago janky little shed the metal doors but i i so wanted to have a haunted house Mm. and i got this like black plastic and i ended up fashioning like a little maze inside made my own (laughs) haunted house you know it was like a foot and a half wide Mm. like made my whole family walk through and it was just me in there like trying to scare them trying to like whittle around but yeah i had a whole haunted house. but you gotta love those memories you know like i love doing that stuff yeah i I remember in college we did a haunted house and um we talked about this last episode my clown character oh yeah with our previous guest and that was that was that i was like the haunted house guide so uh, there was this creepy clown and alan i think i've showed you that picture before of that crown uh that clown makeup and it looked great and just leading these people through this haunted house and being there. That was so fun. And it was just a few rooms, but it was, it was fun. Man, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think for me, I love most about it is it's a very creative, very individualized holiday. You get to do and be whatever you want to be for that day. And and you get to create, you know, scenes or a persona with with a costume and, or, or have a party that's themed and, people come and enjoy. It's really just a, it is a unique holiday in, in that sense. I, and I hope that's why it's growing more in 
popularity, not that people want to be homicidal maniacs. <laughs> Like Michael Myers waving a butcher knife around. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. Because, I mean, you think Christmas is, you know, it's it's all red suits and beard and snow. Every holiday is, is specifically themed, except yeah. Halloween. Yeah. It's, you can just, you can be whomever and do whatever. That's yeah. great. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, one, it's a wonderful time. So what other things have you got for us Halloween-wise? Well, Halloween-wise, uh, another thing that I've collected over the years are stories. So being into Halloween, I would like I said, I would collect these stories um, and that... Uh, you know, from all across Nashville's 200 plus year of history. Hmm. And so if you don't mind, I'll read you some of them. And now not all, I have no idea if any of these are true or false. This is just what they put at the paper in the paper. People would write in letters and say, say this happened. But uh, this first one is one of the oldest and weirdest I have is, is from August, 1841. And the headline is shower of flesh and blood. Oh, Hmm. Now, this happened in Lebanon, five miles from Lebanon, in fact, very near Spring Creek. And the owner of the property was a man by the name of Chandler, E.M. Chandler. So this could probably be pinned down pretty easily if you had property maps for, for the area. Mm. But um, the story goes, he uh, had a tobacco farm and he had enslaved African-Americans work, working there, as was common at this time. And they were working in the field, and they described a red cloud. In fact, I'll, I'll read you what the, how it's written in the story. Is they heard a rattling noise, like rain or hail, and uh, was falling all around them, which they soon found to be drops of blood. On looking up, uh, they state they saw a small red cloud passing swiftly from east to west immediately over their heads, and which soon after passing over then disappeared entirely. Now, they ex examined this stuff, and it was found to be flesh. And uh, one described it as, as even fat. Another, It was mm. taken to a doctor. He described it as finely pulverized muscle and blood mixed, um, even muscular fiber. So, and he said, these are matters unquestioned by me. So he's convinced that whatever this was, uh, was real. And how it got there, how, you know, what caused it, no idea. But that story has always fascinated me. Does, does it say what doctor? Yeah, yeah, he wrote in a letter. Um, this is from the Lebanon Chronicle. Too. Now, this was in the Republican Banner in Nashville, but they were reprinting articles from the Lebanon paper. Uh, Dr. G. Troust, T-R-O-O-S-T. Wow. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting. They had other letters where somebody was speculating that it, maybe it was dust with iron in it that had, and rain that had somehow mixed to create a red substance. But the doctor was convinced it was. Well, yeah, cause that's interesting that a doctor examined it and said, well, yeah, this is, this is consistent with muscles. And But and, this is a period of time where they thought drilling a hole in your head would get rid of a headache. So, I mean, you got to take that with a grain well, of salt. Well, you know, intracranial you pressure. Know. Anyway. Yeah, I'm sure it did relieve a headache, among other things. But that's <laughs> fascinating. I'm going to do some deeper research in that. Yeah, dude, I'll give you these. That's really cool. I can give you the references here so wow. you can find out. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking I'm quiet because I'm trying to think of what what that could be like my first thought when we were talking about it was like okay it was a like a red moon or a red sunset and it cast a 
the red light onto this cloud. But then we start talking about the doctor examining the remnants and it was actual flesh. And that's... I've heard of like fish falling out of the sky and birds, but not just pieces of flesh. That's crazy. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, one of the letter writers um, cited things like seeds falling from the sky. and, And he lists all these places where different things have fallen from the sky in um in large quantities isn't there like but, a a thing where a bird can't burp and so if he like eats a, a seltzer tablet it will eventually cause the bird to explode i know <laughs> have you ever heard that i know that if you, you're not allowed to that. give ducks um like seltzer or um uh, like anything fizzy because it supposedly explodes them yeah right so maybe here's my thought did we have like seltzer in that time period or maybe i don't know i, I tell you one i so i i tried to google this just to see if there was any account of it and it, it appeared in some sort of strange but true book and they claimed that um one explanation was a vulture had vomited um, oh but the thing is, it doesn't really cloud. explain the red cloud. The red and it's cloud. massive. They describe it as half a mile, like eight hundred feet oh. area by you know yards wide. So I don't. I that don't blows know. my theory. I had a great theory, and that blows out the water. <laughs> what was it? They were next to a barn of a neighboring farm, and Jebediah has just finished slaughtering pigs, and he is trying to get rid of it, and he scoops it up in a bucket and tosses it over the barn, which yeah. just happens to be them on the other side, and it rains down upon them. But did you ever see the movie Fargo? Uh, no. Well, there's a. A scene where someone is put in a wood chipper, and that this reminds me of that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, this seems yeah. like the effect of something like that. But Perhaps it, they but, didn't wow. have that wood chippers. Eighteen fifties wood chipper. Forty-one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they had them back then. So yeah, so that was that one. Uh, I have another one from Lebanon. This was in uh, eighteen sixty-seven. I'm just going to read it because it's short. The Lebanon Herald of yesterday says. That the late frost. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. Uh, they they have a ghost in Wilson County, which has uh, in a, which has been in a smokehouse. A witch doctor from Smith County was sent for and has been shooting silver silver bullets at it without <laughs> with, without effect. That's a vampire. <laughs> no way. Silver bullets is a vampire. There's a ghost in the smokehouse. They've got this wow. ghost like cornered at gunpoint. <laughs> That's they awesome. Call the witch doctor to come. You know what that is? That's the first SWAT uh, team right there. Oh my goodness! <laughs> That's awesome. But oh. yeah, silver bullets. I mean, you, we think of that tradition, you know, of of, of werewolves, you know, yeah. and, and vampires. But... It'd be like it'd be like pot team, poltergeist weapons <laughs> and special. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know what? In spectral tactics. Not there me. You go. Ooh, I, I mean, like if it. if I've got a poltergeist cornered, I I will not be shooting at it. I will not be there. Out. <laughs> you're just you're See just ya. gone. Yeah. Yep. Spectral weapons and tactics. You can read about it in the paper. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> far, far away. Um, here's another uh, short one. This one's in Nashville, 1867. Again, that's another thing too. Is I look in other papers, but for some reason, after the Civil War, you start seeing more and more of this type of story. And it it may be because of the Civil War. I don't know. Just because it was so much death. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you've heard. The comparison, there's actually a, a really good book called This Republic of Suffering, and it's about how death was dealt with di- during the Civil War and how many people died. And the analogy, the equivalent would be, it was 600,000 then who died during the Civil War, various causes. 
the war, disease, or whatever, would be like today, six million people dying wow. in America over a oh, four-year wow. period. So you see how disruptive COVID has been mm-hmm. and those deaths. Imagine imagine six million people dying over four years. I mean, that's up to the level of the Holocaust, even. Mm-hmm. It kind of What you just said kind of reminds me of a documentary I watched called um, uh, Ghost of Nagasaki. And it's talking about how there were so many paranormal accounts and sightings of people in mass seeing spectral figures and ghosts of people that were known to have been, you know, for lack of a better term, disintegrated in the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, Japan. And uh, that goes along that same human psyche of being surrounded by so much death, you maybe start to see a lot of these things happening, regardless if they're real or not. And the thing is, is everyone believes them because of that crazy traumatic situation they were in. So those those stories spread. So it seems like a very similar uh, thing happening here when you've talking about we've had a large amount of people die during the Civil War and after in Reconstruction. And ghost stories start going through the roof. You start yeah. seeing loved ones. You start seeing... Uh, I've, I've heard stories about um, even people modern day uh, seeing going to Civil War battlefields... And seeing soldiers, you know, whole columns of soldiers patrolling the battlefield. And that's that stuff still is it's strange and it still happens. So, uh, well, and another sad example of that uh, is that the uh, when uh, I was following the Civil War reporting at a 150 year interval, we I published stuff every month from papers that happened that month exactly 150 years earlier. Mm. When by the t- after the uh, Civil War, with the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, they start wearing white sheets. Well, it's because they're representing ghosts of Confederate dead, and they're oh, I never thought of that coming back to haunt and and terrorize people who are uh, against what they think, how they think the social order ought to be. So again, no coincidence. That puts a whole lot of it puts a lot of meaning to that, doesn't it? That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's again a terror. They were terrorists organization and so they tapped into that mm-hmm. superstition and also the connection to the war and, wow. the, and the dead um there's another post-war story called the cedar street ghost so uh, people in nashville that's uh, charlotte used to be charlotte and then it, now it's a uh, uh, martin luther king jr boulevard it says for some time the lovers of the strange and wonderful on west cedar street have been fed with stories of an old haunted house on that thoroughfare It was currently reported that the dwelling was inhabited by a ghost. A sheeted specter had been seen by several persons. It was supposed to be a dangerous ghost, for it frequently made frantic movements. Yesterday morning, several skeptical persons succeeded in capturing the ghost. So this is like your first ghost hunters here, right? (laughs) They captured it. They captured the ghost. Don't cross the beams. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... We've got one. That's the line from them when they finally yeah, have it. it. Uh, yesterday morning, several skeptical persons succeeded in capturing the ghost, which turned out to be a crazy woman who oh. went around in a white who <laughs> 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 went around in a white dress, brandishing a big knife. For some time, persons have been afraid to pass the haunted house after dark, but. Their fears are, it is hoped, now allayed. Don't worry, That's it's not a ghost. Awesome. It's just an insane knife-wielding woman. <laughs> oh, Your fears well. don't 
<laughs> it's old widow Johnson just roaming the halls. It's okay. It's not a ghost. That's my wife. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Oh man. That's yeah. great. So here here's probably one of my favorites. So this is again 1868, not not right after the Civil War. Uh this is called it's headlined A Marvelous Story of Death and Life. And it takes place in, in Charlotte in Dixon County. So Charlotte is north of Dixon. So this is west of Nashville, north of Dixon. It's a little town there. And someone writes in to tell this story, and they end up just publishing it as is. Mm-hmm. So you just have to take it for what it is. I, there are names here that could be looked up, so maybe this, some of this could be verified. I've not attempted to do that. But there was apparently a guy there named Morgan who had married, he was, in his, he was 50, and he'd married uh, a younger woman. And uh, this woman had a mother who was an immigrant, and she came to America with a diamond ring that she valued more than anything else. She said, you couldn't give me all the gold in the United States for this ring. And she was going to pass it on to her daughter when she died. And she told her daughter, if you do not have someone to pass it on to, you take it to your grave with you. So the mother died, passes on the ring, and naturally... Eventually, this young woman gets sick, gets ill. Well, the husband calls. There's it happens to be a doctor in town, and asks him to come and see if he can help this young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she is so ill that she has decided to wear the ring, and um, the doctor, who was probably they probably may have had some suspicions on, were confirmed when a worker on the farm caught the doctor trying to pull the ring off the sick woman's hand. Hmm. So uh, they obviously ran him, ha- ran him off. Well, she died that day. She dies, and it is very hot. And it's, I, this story was published in September, so I'm assuming this is an August story. So they bury her right away, next day, because they don't obviously, I think, want a, a, a body around that might uh, start to decay. Mm. So now I'm going to read, read from the article. The family went back to the house, and, and uh, sad and sorrowful enough, and were sleeping away their tears, when just as the moon was sinking behind the hills and everything as still as death, the young lady, Mrs. Morgan wrapped at the window where the old man was sleeping. When he woke up, he seen her white figure and pale face, and she was holding up the bloody hand with one of the fingers cut off, and she sighed painfully. The old man hallowed, but he was afraid to stir. He hallowed three or four several times, and at last the old cook, Mandy, who had nursed the young lady when she was sick, ran up to the room and when she saw Mrs. Morgan went out on the veranda and caught her as she was fainting away. She was brought into the house, the lamps lit up, and then it was found that the finger which had the ring on it was gone, cut clean off from the upper joint. Holy crap. So this woman, who was buried alive, it seems like now, someone came and robbed the grave, Instead of taking the ring, which I maybe the finger was swollen, yeah, they removed the, the finger, which woke her up and probably scared the crap out of the grave robber. <laughs> because how else would she get out of that? Whoa! <laughs> and she made it back to the house. 
Wow. Okay, yeah. you know what makes me happy? I don't know if you have more on this or not, I but do. I do. this story has been retold to me in various scary campfire stories. Like, I, I remember specifically, where's my ring? Where's my ring? And, like, she's walking around with a finger missing. And it's, like, different alterations where, you know, the, the old man digs her up and takes the ring or, like, the, the, the son you know, cuts the finger off after she dies before they bury her. And, oh, man, and they just, they constantly, I remember one, where's my golden arm? <laughs> and it, I, that's so funny that this is actually a real story. I mean, no wonder. I mean, what kind of plot point, how can you come up with a plot point like that? Have you not a real example? Yeah. Right. So. Well, and, and it could be one of the one of the original. And, again, who knows if, if you've heard this before, it may be. That may be a may tall pre, tale back then. It may be, yeah, it mm. may have been a tale then. But uh, to go on, it says, when she revived sufficiently to be able to tell her story, she said she, said she was awoke out of her sleep by someone sawing at her finger with a knife. And just as she started up, she saw the man who attended her when she was sick, the doctor, step out of the grave and take away the tools with another person whom she didn't know. She said she was so frightened to find herself down in a narrow hole in the earth that she screamed and struggled out of it and began immediately to run towards home. So she uh, is examined by a real doctor, the real town doctor, and, and he declares that she was, quote, dosed by the quack. So oh, wow. he thinks she may have been... So he, he the doctor sedated her. Yeah. Mm, that's but then let her be buried... Wow. To go get the ring. And then dug her up to cut the ring off her finger. That's interesting. Well, it seems to me that maybe he thought she was dead too, considering he was cutting her finger off, which he probably knew would, being a doctor, knew would have likely wake her up. Also, though, I feel like in this, this may be a disproven myth, but um, was, was people falling ill into maybe a, a like a heat stroke or, or a, a sort of coma almost? And then being buried, and then later being found. I feel to have like been alive. I've heard so many stories yeah. of people being buried alive. Like it happened a lot. And yeah, I know that happened a lot during the plague because you know they had the whole you, they tie a string to your finger, and then you have the bell on top of the grave. Yeah, to see if you're alive. But what was the? There was some kind of catchy. Um, there was some kind of catchy phrase that they called that. Um, I remember learning about that. In one of those, like, why do they call it that? It was because of the. the oh, really? Yeah, I, I think I it's. Yeah, I think I know what you're referencing, but I can't remember how it's said. Yeah, um, I think most of that was in Victorian times, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there are coffins with glass, uh, you know, above the face, so that people could make sure they were still in it. Mm. Um, and they had wakes. That I, I think is one of the reasons for wakes in the parlor, you know, which is where we get funeral parlor of the person's house. So you see if they wake up. Yeah, hmm, you wow. would sit there and and sit with them overnight or a few nights to see before they're buried. Yeah, maybe that's the origin of uh, visitation during a funeral. Yeah, you know, wow, that's kind of interesting. Made that connection. Um, I do want to say one more thing on this because just thinking about the medical parts of this, obviously the doctor. Um, the quack, the, the one, the, the whoever, I mean, I guess the one that stole the the ring, right? But um, he came and and he was kicked out. Who he could probably read vital signs and realize if she was actually dead or not. So now she falls ill enough to be unconscious. Family think her dead and bury her. I mean, that seems pretty realistic. 
So she was saved by the guilt of this doctor who just wanted this ring off of her finger. Otherwise, she would have had to endure the terrible death of being buried alive. I mean, that's crazy. Shoo. Yeah, it's about a close one. Does it say anything about they, they went and got the doctor and hung him up in the town well, square? <laughs> Uh, they do say what happened. Uh, he was staying at a hotel, but he left so quickly. He left behind his bag of his uh, bag of tools oh, and bet. everything. Wow. A horse was missing. They assumed he stole it uh, from this person. They um, found the finger, though. It was fifty yards away from the grave, hmm. but never him. They never, and never found the him. ring, and never the ring. Wow. And she, interestingly. She begged, here's what it says, the lady begged off us not to circulate the report about her strange death and how strangely she came back to life. Uh, and the doctor warned her not to for fear of people coming to visit and, and, and you know, it becoming a thing. So it sounds real to me. I mean, it, it's got enough veracity to it. Right. But, uh, I would like to, I've just never done it, further look into the people. So maybe somebody listening out there, Dixon County historians can uh, tell yeah. if, this, if there was ever an... Mr. Morgan, who on property out there. You know, it would be wild. It's like having a ring passed down in your family and you had no idea that it was this yeah, ring. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, where did you get that? A great-great-grandmother got it at a pawn shop years ago oh, or was wow. given to her by, you know, her, her grandfather, who was a doctor. Man, that'd that's be great. the ring. Oh, man, wow. that's crazy. That'd be a great story for Antique Roadshow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they give you the ring and say, well, guess what? There's an old story. <laughs> I'm not touching this. That's awesome. So Man, have, you'd have to get like um, ancestral records to prove that. Like, yeah, that was my great 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 grandfather who was the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that would be crazy. Well, you'd have to know the ring. In yeah, that's it. Have to be some evidence, a drawing, description of the ring. I mm -hmm. think would have to have survived. But uh, I have two or three more. Will you want more? Or? Oh, bring yeah, it on. Why not? Okay, here, we're moving a little later. This is 1884. And again, I'm going to read this just because it's well-written. Um, an American reporter, now that's the uh, Daily American was a Nashville newspaper. An American reporter was called by telephone last night to witness the wild wanderings of the headless woman, which is said to haunt the vicinity of Barrow Hill. Uh, now, I looked this up on a map. A 1871 map shows a person named Barrow in this vicinity. So I'm assuming that's who it was. I don't really know if it is. There's a hill at her in Nashville off Charlotte at 28th Avenue and Georgia Avenue. That might be where this is. It says, when the scribe arrived on the scene, he saw 17 men lying scattered in groups waiting for the appearance of the apparition. The reporter interviewed several gentlemen. And they all gave about the same version. Mr. J. H. Metters says that during the night 12 months, there in the last 12 months, he has frequently seen the uncanny visitor, that it was about five and a half feet in height, wore a dress of some sort of dark material, and in passing turned neither to the right nor left, but seemed to glide over the ground, not making the slightest noise. Hmm. The weird creature is said to have no head. Mr. Metters says, and several others present endorse this statement, that on Sunday night, about three weeks ago, at 10 o'clock, the apparition was seen to come from the direction of an old well and a little to the right of the old Yellow Fever Hospital. 
It then moved in a, a southerly direction to where the men had stationed themselves, passing apparently without the slightest noise or movement and disappeared on the side of the hill. Mr. Metter states that the night of the storm last Tuesday, as several of his friends were passing, they distinctly heard a woman screaming at the top of her voice. The reporter remained on the scene for some time in the hope that he would be able to have an interview with the acephalous individual. I had to look that up. That means without a head. <laughs> oh, <laughs> be kind of a dry interview. <laughs> uh, but no such uh, fortune being in store for him. With a sigh of disappointment, he placed his pencil in his vest pocket, folded his papers, and departed. Hmm. Interesting. I love I love reading wow. these stories in old print like this because there's just something more valid about the language they're created in. Like, you know, if you want to read a ghost story today, you can, you know, read online or buy a book. I remember like when I was in elementary school, they would sell ghost books at the book fair and, you know, everyone wanted to buy one of those. And that's just really interesting to hear it in an, in a very, I mean, back then this was... This was, uh, you know, this was TV back then. This was the news source. And to have something like that printed I probably not only helped or encouraged people to believe in those things, but it, I mean, gave it, gave it a lot of validity. So and imagine, like, we've grown up having visuals. Like, we've been presented with UFOs and spirits represented visually through art and through television shows and renditions for a long time. But imagine being experiencing that firsthand back then where you've never experienced it before, seen it on television, like the first experience of a, of an apparition just wandering around and then having to describe that somehow. And also these papers describing the apparition with words. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock had a method of, of doing horror where the gruesome things, the things that um, that were supposed to be the scary parts, he shot it in such a way where it would leave it up to your imagination to fill in the gaps. And that's why his films were so terrifying, even today. I mean, you watch something like The Rear Window. Obviously, um, uh, why, am I, why is I missing that name? The one about the one that has the lady killed in the shower. Psycho. Psycho, yep. yeah. Um, and, and numerous other uh, of his films. He uses those use your imagination kind of shot. This is, this is the paper version of that. I mean, there's no picture of this thing. There's no, there's no, you know, planned out, you know, graphical description of like measurements and, and it's just, it's just, Hey, this thing was this tall. It looked kind of like this was wearing a black dress. And you can imagine people, all the different constructions of this figure in their mind. And, and I, I guarantee you, if you're scared of this thing, the figure will be, built of your fears. And the best storyteller is our minds. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been in the studio and it's about a 35 foot walk from the studio to my house. And there have been times where I've been out here editing something and I'll, I'll read an article, especially around Halloween. And there will be that article that will instill something. Mm. And then my mind starts and that 35 foot walk yes. in the dark sometimes yes. when the, there's no moon, Oh yeah, there's yeah. bad stuff out there, and that what your mind can make up. There's nothing that any film producer could ever throw on television or write. Well, th- th- even that your in mind a familiar place, like you're like, I remember 
it, it thankfully I think it's only happened once in my house so far in my new house, but um and probably not as much because I have like automated lights that come on and stuff if I get up in the middle of the night. But um essentially uh when I was back in this apartment, me and my me and my brother lived together and when he would go off like several days to go do something related to his job, you know, I could get up in the middle of the night and sometimes I would walk into the kitchen and I'm like, wow, this is kind of terrifying being alone. And then, or maybe I'd watched a Netflix show, like you said, or read an article about something scary and your mind just, it puts things there that weren't there before. And it's kind of, kind of spooky. One well, of those I, things where ever, I turn all the lights on as I go on. <laughs> have you ever had anything happen that made you wonder? I'm, you know what? Oh, that's a good one. Um, yes, I, I have experienced firsthand um, a, a, a spirit, a ghost, however you want to call it. Um, I'm I'm 100% positive that um, uh, of what it was. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it on the show. We'll talk about it offhand. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, um, I, I absolutely think that um, spirits in some form are, are with us or try to contact us. And uh, it's happened at the time I was younger and uh, it scared the hell out of me. And I didn't understand it at the time. Um, we, we should not have been where we were looking for what we were looking right. for. Right. I mean, we were, we thought we were, you know, we were kids. We were looking for ghosts in this, in this place. And unfortunately you found um, one. <laughs> and, and what happened, um, you know, convinced me and I, and I'll, I'll carry it with me for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm convinced. Um, absolutely. When you said that I have a, I had a story coming to my head that I will forever remember. Um, so this was, um, so my parents, I was, I was like brought into the world, into a, a smaller home. And then when we, when I got into, I guess, starting middle school, we moved to a larger home and it was probably about, um, I, I guess I was maybe, uh, in sixth or seventh grade perhaps in middle school. And, uh, I remember being home alone and I think it was probably, I was probably homesick and, um, For some reason, I was going outside, perhaps to play with the dogs, and I had gone outside, and I opened the back door to walk back in, and I got to give you a little backstory here. So, we had, this was around the holidays, and we had these trains that we would set up around the Christmas tree, and these trains came in a box with a large plastic clear sheet on the front so you could see the trains inside, okay? Um... That box was sitting on a um, chest on the second floor balcony, and this is a house where the living room uh, you can you can like stand on the balcony and see open into the living room, right? And I remember, and this is extremely vivid for, to remember. It's so strange. I remember um, closing the door, going outside, doing whatever, and then I, as I walk back in, I see this box fall from the balcony and it slammed into the floor and in no time i got the heck out of there (laughs) and i (laughs) i left i actually went to the neighbor's house to call my parents and i i refused to go back into the house and (laughs) and it was it i was terrified and eventually my mom convinced me hey just go back in go back in there just get, you know, I guess I needed something or go back in there and lock it, get a key, lock it or whatever. And then we'll be home in several hours or whatever. You can stay outside or at the neighbor's house. And what was even more terrifying was when I went back in there, that box was not there anymore. The box was back on the balcony. And I don't know if 
I just hallucinated, <laughs> but it was so vivid that I cannot tell myself that that was a hallucination. Uh, let wow. Me, I'm going to tell you this from, from a Buddhist perspective, right? Um, and not to get all scientific, but no, the, you know, what is the definition of life? It's complex chemical reactions, right? Sure. And complex chemical reactions produce energy. And in a sense, like our bodies are just all energy mm-hmm. and, and everything around us is all energy. And the first rule of energy in science is that energy cannot be created or destroyed, only change forms. So uh, hence the, the, the theory of reincarnation when Buddhists die, that energy changes form. So it, it would make sense that as a spirit or the energy of a person is still um, we'll say in in the atmosphere, but still present in the the universal energy of you know this existence in this plane. And there are times when I think that you know your energy can be on the same wavelength, perhaps as uh, as someone. And I'll you know I wasn't going to talk about this, but I've um, I think dreams are kind of a little bit of a tap into that, where right. you know we talk about REM sleep and your brain is emitting energy. And I think there are times where your brain gets on a wavelength and, um, you know, the energy of, of past ones, you can have dreams that may seem so vivid. Um, there are times when I think that the spirit, the energy of people that are past, uh, try to contact you in different ways, Hmm. pushing a box. Um, I've, um, I've had a few things happen in my house. My, I lost my father a few years ago and, and I looked and looked and looked for, you know, just give me a sign that you're still here. And, And we had one, one day, um, and it's just, it comes in, in little things like that, like just little things that happen that you just, you kind of brush off. But, you know, there are times when, when the energy of, of the, whatever spirit or incarnation that they're in, you know, matches the plane that your energy is, mm-hmm. you, you get those little moments of contact. And I think that's how when people see, you know, apparitions or spirits or ghosts uh, or whatever that manifests in, in, you know, in different beliefs, that's how those little interactions happen. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, that's really interesting to hear from that perspective because, you know, sometimes we're, as at least as a Christian, you know, as a Christian, I believe that there are, you know, demons and angels and there's something in between and, and there's a, there's a waiting place. Um, and so it's kind of strange to think about um, how those things interact with living beings on earth. And so uh, that's always an interesting debate is because is there room in, in, a Christian's belief for believing in ghosts. That's something that I think every Christian has to make that decision for, um, because there's not a lot of, they, uh, there is in the Bible references of, you know, spirits inhabiting people and causing them to do crazy things or inhabiting animals and, and causing them to do um, things that would be abnormal. And so it's, um, it's a really interesting subject. I will say this cause I, I just add on my story. Um, I kn- I saw the box, right? But I, I also remember, and I told you about the plastic part, is because it made a very distinct sound of like that kind of thing hitting the ground. You know what I'm talking about? A big old floppy plastic hitting the ground? Yeah. That's how I primarily knew what that was. And so, I don't know. I just, I have that very vivid memory and I don't have any explanation for it. That's one of those things where it's like, how could that have happened? Am I crazy? Did that just not happen? Or... What other explanation is there, right? You kind of question your own sanity. But yeah, anyway. One of the 
I'll give it to you, Chris, uh, before I leave. But I have another story that's similar to that. I, I, I won't read it because it was long, but it's about a woman who was specifically about the death of her father. And it was a, um, she was, you know, explaining this day, this, that where all these odd things happen. And then she ends up seeing him. Um, so I'll let you read it if you're interested. Now, I have something that happened to me. I, I don't happen to believe in ghosts, but I have a ghost story. Um, there was a time uh, when I, my first house that I owned in Hermitage, and uh, uh, I, I, I sold it and needed to do some work underneath the house, which to me is a scary place to be. Um, mm. uh, so so this, this particular day, it was about dusk, so it was still light enough that there were kids outside playing. And so you could see, but I took a flashlight because it was under the house. Then I went under the house. It's very dimly lit. There's a little light coming through the, you know, those little vents that mm-hmm. are around the, right. you know, the, yeah. the crawl space of a house. And this particular uh, crawl space you could stand up in where the entry was. So that's a very comfortable area mm-hmm. because you're standing. And I'm looking around with the flashlight and I'm, I'm going under, Jess, you'll appreciate this because I'm having to undo some wiring that I did for, right. a, for a surround sound uh-huh. system. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I'm under there. But I have to go up. You know, it's to an the incline up yeah. to the shallow area. So you get up there to the point where you're crawling and looking around. <clears throat> and while I was there, I heard a voice. And it, it seemed to come from everywhere around me. And it was a girl's voice. And she said, I see you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfectly clear. And I, the hair stood up on the back of my oh, neck. Oh, my gosh. And I was like. And I, I just had no idea what was going on. I was like, everything that I believe is out the window. Yeah, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and then I heard some giggling, some girls <laughs> giggling. And I'm look, so looking around, and the kids who are playing outside have come up to one of those little vents. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And all they were doing was saying, I see you. They weren't trying to oh, spook man. me or anything, but it's scared the crap out I of bet. me. It's scared the crap That's out of me. That's awesome. I, have, I don't know if I've already told this story. I probably told it on the podcast before, maybe to you, Chris, but um, talking about crawl spaces. New house, crawl space. Hey, I was running wires as in, in the crawl space before the house was completely finished. Me and my dad um, were doing that. And so he was upstairs. Um, and this is the, the house has a roof and it has walls, but there's nothing on the inside yet. Um, I think the brick was done. And so, but I'm in this crawl space. And so my crawl space is really interesting on one corner. It is like 10, 11 feet tall. And then the other corner, it goes down to like four. So you got to crawl through most parts of it, but other parts that you could stand. It's on a really heavy incline. So there's a lot of water that goes down there. This is before they had the plastic and stuff down. So I was walking through mud. It's pouring rain outside, storming. And um, you ever ha- you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like your life flashed before your eyes? Oh, yeah. So I'm down there. I'm like knees in mud, hands touching wires as I'm moving them through the, the, the house. And I feel like time moved in slow motion. I saw these skittering blue lights go across the floor of the basement of the, of the crawl space. And I heard poppings like, bah, 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 bah. and then all of a sudden this boom, gigantic lightning strike lights up everything like in the, in, in the, uh, in the crawl space and upstairs. And my dad goes, Holy crap. That was 
was right next to the house. And and I'm down there. I'm t- petrified because I realized I just saw electricity moving around me and I'm in the mud. And it was just like, I spared no time getting, I didn't say a word. The thing I did was I started crawling out of there. I run outside the back of the house. It's pouring rain and I go back inside and (laughs) dad's like, are you okay? And I was like, I almost died. Yeah. (laughs) I was really close to dying there. Like I'm just like I just got I just got this house I'm getting my life started and I'm gonna get taken out by random lightning not even nice lightning like being standing in the middle of the field but freaking mud lightning is what would have killed me (laughs) 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 but it was crazy I've never I've never experienced the before a lightning strike like that like it was I don't know if it came in through like the ground wires in the house or through the unterminated like because there was a mains line that wasn't terminated yet in there. I don't know if it came through it because it was already running outside, but there was blue sparks before the main strike of lightning, and it was just like, ugh. ugh well, there it's are crazy. The the, I guess it's the negative charge w- or will come from the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so, make the connection. Yeah, and if there are photographs, you can Google it and seeing online of a lightning strike hitting a tree, but in other parts of the pictures, you can see leaders coming out of the ground that were not chosen mm-hmm. by the strike. Yeah, and so maybe that's what you were so feeling. So I got, I got lucky there. My leader yeah. was not chosen. <laughs> yeah. There's another one. I, so. I'll tell you, my when I was a kid, they always, I was the one chosen to go in our crawl space, and I hated it for the same thing. <laughs> Your mind runs through so many things. Yep. And my dad needed a phone line put in one part of the house. And the, the most miserable part, like whatever I needed to do that would have taken five minutes, always took an hour because the first thing would happen is I would open the crawl space door and I would get the flashlight and it would take me 30 minutes because I would just go side to side for 30 minutes, just making sure nothing was moving. Yeah. And I would just sit there and wait and I would make a noise and I would stop and listen and I would just spend forever making sure nothing would move. Mm. And the silence would be broken by dad, like, you know, are you doing it or what? <laughs> so so anyway, I finally, when I got under there, I'd, you know, move in an inch or two and I'd stop and have to look again and ensure there's no snake spiders or any beavers or anything of that nature. And so I get to one end of the house, finally got the confidence to go under there in this dark, creepy, crawly space. I'm pulling a phone line and there's a, a, a vent for the, the heating and air consists. So I'm, I have to put the phone line in my mouth and crawl underneath it. So I put the thing in my mouth and I'm crawling underneath it. Well, the other end's already hooked up. And back, oh, in, back when you had landline oh no. phones, it's AC voltage. <laughs> so somebody calls the house and I, I hear it ringing upstairs and it doesn't dawn on me that that's why I'm like, my whole body's quivering and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh God, what's this? That's that's actually high voltage. It's, that's not it's AC. Vo- yeah. So like, and luckily it wasn't like bare wires in my mouth, but it was just touching my cheek. So I spit the thing in. I'm just kind of laying there for a minute, and of course I hear my parents like milling about upstairs, and Dad's like, I gotta call you back. He's in the floor running a cable, or whatever. He- Are you over there yet? You know, and they're like shining a light down the hole. Like, go. So anyway, I'm. Put the thing back in my mouth, oh my and I'm, I continue on. I guess they decided to call back because they didn't oh, hear him. No. And it started again, and I'm like, God, gotta get done with this. <laughs> so finally, I'm like, after all that time, like verifying that the crawl spaces, I learned my lesson. Like, never put a live phone. No, maybe that's why I hate going under there. Just the memory of that, but. I think I, I left like flesh underneath there that day. It's probably still under there. That was a horrible experience. <laughs> well, yeah, when I was doing that with the lightning strike thing, after the lightning strike, I eventually gained the courage to go back under the house. I waited till the rain stopped, but um, 
I did. I was doing the whole like, and in college, I worked on radio transmitters, and so we did the whole. You put one hand in your pocket, and you work with your other hand because you never want to ground yourself across your heart when you're working with super high voltage. So I was doing that number um, in in the basement. So I was waddling around like a, a really low squat on the low ends with one hand in my pocket, trying to pull wire and secure it with a drill, and it was just uh, it was a mess. But I just did not want to get. <laughs> I was like, they can take my legs, but just don't shock me across the chest. But yeah, and we need to start a club of crawl space horror stories or something. If we had time, a bunch awesome. more. If we had time, I've got a couple more from my firefighting days. <laughs> wow. So what do you have? An, do you have another article? I've got another couple, but we, we it's up to you guys. You want to hear them? Throw it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, this one comes from Murfreesboro, but for a little context, does the name? Burke and Hare sound familiar to you guys? Mm-mm. They are famous for being body snatchers in Scotland in the 1820s. And the um, doctors, of course, were studying bodies, uh, needed cadavers, but which, oh. was, uh, which was frowned upon uh, just for religious reasons alone. Uh, but that was science trying to advance. It reminds me of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah. He paid body snatchers to come yep. and get parts for him. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, these guys were, were murdering people to do it. Oh, and so, that's, wow. that's a little bit different. <laughs> uh, so they were, they were, they became synonymous with, with the, the evil gravedigger uh, of, uh, of lore. And um, a hare ended up turning evidence uh, for the government. Burke was executed, hanged, dissected, and his, his skeleton is still in a museum today. Uh, oh, wow. That's like the ultimate see. punishment, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the story I have is from 1890. That was 1828 uh, when they were doing their business. In 1890 in Murfreesboro, uh, we have this story. Charles Cathy Colored is in jail here charged with body snatching. He is from Nashville. And last night, which was Halloween night, by the way, when captured, said he was working for a Nashville physician. For years, it has been known that there has been grave robbing practiced here, but last night was the first time that a capture had been effected. Oh, wow. So the story goes that uh, later in the article, it says two officers of the law uh, got wind that this might be happening. So uh, when the two gentlemen watched the cemetery, they searched and made, uh, soon found a corpse was found lying inside the cemetery fence. The officers concealed themselves, and in a short while, a buggy was driven rapidly to the spot, and the body was placed in the vehicle. Oh, wow. So there was a chase ensued. They caught the guys. They put a them buggy in. chase? Uh, you know, or was it a foot chase? <laughs> That'd be uh, interesting. I was like, I, oh, yeah. Well, I think what happened was they arrested them immediately, and oh. then later one ran. And, uh, okay. Uh, so there were multiple. Yeah, multiple chases. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so this guy gets finally gets in jail. But they say in the buggy, the officers uh, found a small spade, which was used for digging up the body. The corpse was identified as that of Laura DeMint, a young girl who had died and was buried earlier that week, two days before that. Hmm. Uh, so the guys, the two guys were charged with grave robbery and desecration of graves. Good grief. And the body wow. of the girl was reburied at... Kathy's expense, so he was forced to pay. So re, for reburying her. This is the 1890s, and there are still physicians, practicing physicians, paying people to go take dead bodies so they can study them. That's wow. really interesting. Wow. Yeah, and, and and hopefully that's 
true, you know, that that's all it was. It was sure. something weirder. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. That's um, what I was thinking. But, but uh, yeah, last story I have is one we've, uh, most of these have been in the retrospect, uh, and this one included. And this is a headline from a 1974 article that says, The Remains of Shell's Haunted House to be Auctioned Friday. So this is in 1974, and it is about a house that was at 1111 16th Avenue South. So this is at the corner of Edge Hill Avenue and 16th Avenue. Hmm. And this was a, a, a guy who had originally owned it was named Jacob Snell. Now, this story got the reputation uh, mostly from Belmont students of being haunted. It was, hmm. you know, creepy, dilapidated old house in which someone lived. So it's not like it was empty. Right. Somebody lived there and it was considered kind of creepy. Uh, but the story goes that uh, Schnell had been, he was an immigrant who came to North Nashville. He was Austrian, a German-Austrian. <clears throat> and he came to North Nashville and established a business so he, uh, that was a seed, feed and seed store hmm. and lived there, had a house there. It was very successful. Married, had four kids. He got very, very wealthy. So he decides, I'm going to build a nice house in the nice section of town. My girls are getting of age. I'm going to introduce them to society. This is a turn of the century, 1900 or so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, introduce myself into Nashville's upper crust uh, world. So he builds this beautiful house. It, it's so big, the third floor has a ballroom. A dance oh, wow. Ballroom. That's how nice this house is. Um uh, you know, just a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, house. So he holds the party, sends out engraved invitations, hires an orchestra to have this coming out party, and no one comes. No oh, one no. shows up for it. And there was speculation that it was because he was an immigrant or there was he just wasn't from here, so mm. the Nashville's, you know, not upper families yeah. were not going to just, he's new money, you know, maybe mm. that's why. They're, uh, all, it's all speculation why no one came. But they didn't come, and it made him so angry, he declared that he would never, ever put another penny into the house, and no one in his family could either. He moved back to North Nashville to live and was going to let the house slowly rot, even with the people living in it. So his kids ended up living there, four kids, uh, a daughter and a son, marry off and leave. It leaves two sisters. And they slowly live, uh, they live in a slowly dilapidating house. Water pipes burst. They never, they turn, have the water turned off and never turned on again. What? Good grief. The, the windows break, roof leaks, there's buckets all around the house. And they just slowly start closing off rooms and not going into them anymore and living in smaller and smaller areas. And uh, these these. People, you know, the two sisters who remain there lived there for uh, for many years, and people knew them in the neighborhood. But just it was keeping their dad's wishes, just keeping their dad's, the never did anything to the wow. house, just let it slowly, slowly rot. And so, of course, it got the reputation of being haunted for that reason. But the article is interesting because they talked to people who knew them, the realtor. You know, they, it's not like they weren't real people. Uh, they and what they did in their lives, um, but eventually. Um, in fact, he tells one story, the realtor, where he says when uh, um, 
the woman got the, she listed this house talking about this particular house on 16th Avenue at a hundred thousand dollars. And at the time she had, uh, I think she had maybe $4,000 in the bank. This is how poor she was at this point. So she listed the house for a hundred thousand and I had to take her and she increased the price to $150,000. And he agreed to that. Really? She went to $200,000 oh and he quit. Uh-huh. She never intended to leave it alive. I told her we would have to sell it, and she hadn't. If uh, and she said it hadn't fallen in yet, she would stay till it did. Well, she ended up dying, and um, at eighty-four in nineteen seventy-four, and they auctioned the house, and um, uh, it sold. Was torn down. An office building was built there, and so now you get reports of you know that every once in a while, reporters will go there and talk to the current residents of the building and find out if there's anything creepy going on. And of course people are reporting this is a 2004 story where um, people have reported seeing the sisters, you know, ghosts hmm. floating around, oh, wow. around the building, uh, the loud sounds. Uh, one was akin to a broomstick hitting a tile floor. Another woman said uh, she would get cold, solid feeling sometimes uh, in rooms and this, this is probably one of the most horrible things I've read right here. Is this is quoting a person. It says, Lastly, there was a meeting held in the building, and someone had brought a whole package of Oreo cookies into the kitchen. The meeting took place, and someone went to get the cookies, and they had been crushed to bits and pieces where you couldn't tell they were cookies. Oh, no. That's, That's just horrible. horrible. That's just horrible. That just tops all of the terrible Meetings things we talked over. about as far as Halloween pranks. That's oh, my horrible. gosh. Uh, anyway, there you go. <laughs> you know what's funny? That's actually something like that. That's an office prank. That's something that straight out like of an the office show. Yeah, you the just office. go up and oh, just smash all the Oreos. <laughs> uh-uh. Do that at my office. That oh. is it for you. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> wow. What a good episode. Yeah, wow. I agree. What a, what a bunch of great stories. Well, thanks for having me back. I, I think I told you a few episodes ago that I had some stories saved up, so I'm glad you let me come back and share a few. You brought it. Thank you yeah, very much. You yes. did. We got a lot of good, we had a lot of good discussion here and all kinds of jumping around, but yet we still tied it back to Halloween and spookiness and... Man, I love that stuff. Yep. Um, I can't wait till the Christmas episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if there are any scary Christmas no, stories. No, there's there. not. But <laughs> Well, you never know. They've made several scary Christmas, quote unquote, movies around. That's like, true. That's true. Krampus yeah. or something. <laughs> Gr- wow. Yeah, Grampus. Gr- is it Grampus or Grampus? Like Krampus. Krampus. Like Krampus. With a K. Yeah, yeah. So make sure to follow Nashville Retrospect. Again, tell us your website and yes, tell us your Nash- Facebook. NashvilleRetrospect.com. You can go there. If you go to that page at... Little thing pops up that allows you to sign up for our newsletter, which is free. Comes out every two weeks. You'll get new stories that were that were. I'm still digging up. You'll get old stories that I've already published in the retrospect, all for free, just to keep you in touch with what we're doing. And we're doing new things too. Just released last week a video of of, of a discussion about the Edge Hill community, which is where this house was located. By the way, uh, it's not covered in the video, but um, it's a really. I think a, I'm really proud of the program because we. We talk in this particular episode about not only the whole history of the neighborhood, but in particular how the government has affected the neighborhood so much. Um, from the Civil War, uh, there were enslaved people there who were released, and uh, some of the early Nashville uh, black schools get started there, all the way to urban renewal, where 
property was literally taken away from people and sold back to private individuals who, who are still there now. And I interview a resident of the neighborhood who had that happen to his family. So, oh, wow. wow. So, yeah, I urge everybody to go to NashvilleRetrospect.com and check that out. Yes, check it out. And uh, thanks for joining us for this special Halloween episode. Uh, be be careful. Be safe. If you're eating wrapped candy, check it for razor blades. <laughs> razor blades. We didn't even talk about that. Switchbladed knives. That's and a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't want any thumbtacks in your uh, Tootsie Roll. That's you know right. what? It, exploding mints. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. And just don't go in crawl space. Yep. No, it's not. Especially during a thunderstorm. Never a, or with wires never a good mouth. idea. Yeah, no, I agree. So, That's right. Hey, if you want to contact us, uh, I've got an email, J-E-S-S-E, Jess, at Still Love Ya Bro, with a Y-A. Chris has one as well. Yep, Chris at StillLoveYaBro.com, which is also the website, StillLoveYaBro.com. We've got a Facebook page, Still Love Ya Bro. We've got a Instagram, as we've recently discovered. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to follow us on any of those podcast platforms, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. And if you're on Apple, um, give us a rating. That's always nice and uh, helps us uh, discover new people. We appreciate you guys joining us for this special Halloween episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, this has been Still Love You, Bro. Chris, thanks for joining us. Until next time. Until next time. Alan. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Do that laugh. <laughs> <laughs>